Shut up and sit down. Okay, welcome back to another NBA Finals edition of the Limited Upside Podcast. We are joined by the Fear the Sword Managing Editor, David Zavak today, and as always, Mike Prada to my left. Wow, there's not a whole lot to talk about, guys. I guess Game 3 happened last night. It was the exact opposite of, of Game 2. We wanted to have uh, David on this on this pod because, David, you were at the game last night, man. What was the uh, start off, man? What was the atmosphere like, the first uh, Finals game in Cleveland this year? It, it it didn't, you know, I went to game, I, I went to the finals last year too, mm. and at game three last year, the Cavs were uh, tied one-to-one, and people were just going nuts all day. Um, there were tons of people downtown, and then, you know, funneling into the game, it wasn't nearly as loud going into the game during the pregame and all of that as it was a year ago, but... When the Cavs, it, it, honestly, all it took were, were them were the Cavs to score the first four points of the game, and basically from then it was just loud the entire time. So it's like the fans sort of like needed to know whether it was acceptable to believe in the Cavs after the first two games. <laughs> um, but I mean, once once the Cavs sort of established a, a basic level of competence, things. Uh, yeah things got pretty loud it's amazing how a fast start makes such a difference uh you know i guess they had a good start in golden state as well but it wasn't quite the same level of of good start And i think also in a game like that you're coming out with so much desperation and energy that you know if all of that results in immediate positive reinforcement it sort of encourages that to continue but if it doesn't then there's the you run the risk of slumped shoulders. Uh, you you felt like there was a pretty clear difference in intensity and focus, all of that. I mean, it's it's fairly obvious to say after a thirty point game, but you could see that I think from the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, in, in game two, I, I don't know exactly how many three pointers Draymond made, but you know he was, and it was part of the you know the the, the game plan going in. Okay, we're gonna you know Draymond Green's not a great three point shooter. You have to give up something, and, and they, they sort of allowed Draymond to shoot. However, you can still close out on threes once you know that he's going to be shooting, <laughs> um, and that just wasn't consistently happening in game two. LeBron made a concerted effort to, to close out on him last night. I thought that they got uh, a lot more physical with, uh, with, with Steph Curry and, and Clay Thompson, um, you know, I don't know how much you know those, those guys are going to make shots and, and get going. So you you, you don't want to give the Cavs all the credit in the world for that. But um, and then you know it manifested itself on the offensive boards with, with Tristan Thompson um, mm. had seven, uh, and 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 also I thought Andrew Bogut had sort of gotten a little bit of the better of Tristan in the first couple games, and and it got a lot better for for Tristan last night as well. It was it was his best game of the series. By, by a, a long shot. I mean, he uh, not just with 13 rebounds, but he had 14 points. He was being extremely physical. And I think a big part of that was the void in the spacing that was created 
by not having Kevin Love in the game. Ah, we're going right to the elephant I, in the room. Look, I see. I look at we, you. We have to, right? <laughs> because most games, when you're going to define it as like, okay, uh, game one was the Sean Livingston game because Sean Livingston played really, really well, right? Usually when the game has someone's name on the end as a moniker, it's because of how well someone played. This was the Kevin Love game, and it's not because he helped them win by 30 by playing really well. I want to get your thoughts from t- on two, two fronts here, uh, David. Number one... What did you think from an X's and O's and what you saw on the court and kind of you've been watching him play all year? How did they, why did they look so much better today or yesterday, I should say, instead of how they looked in game two and one? And then secondly, what is the on the ground floor, the feeling in Cleveland about Kevin Love? Because I think public perception is going to be very interesting here, uh, potentially, and how they, they play this out with him. Yeah. Um, I, I do think, you know, I think we've said, I think a lot of smart people have said this is a tough series for Kevin Love um, simply because, you know, Draymond Green is so good and is so quick and, and they use Draymond Green, you know, as that in that point forward role and, and you know, where you want to avoid having Kevin Love is, is sort of putting him in, putting him in space. Um, but also... Uh, and, and I and I, I think on the whole these things are sort of overplayed because the Cavs have been really good for two years now when LeBron, Tristan, and Kevin Love have all been on the floor together. So those those three, you know, for all the consternation about how they all play the same position, they've had really good results. Um, that being said, in this series, um, LeBron James is or does seem to be a really good fit to guard Draymond Green and for that matter so does Tristan Thompson and so then it's a matter of of where can you hide Kevin Love um if you look at the net ratings for games one and two they're bad for every single Cavalier player uh, of the starting five and again it's not a good number but of the starting five Kevin Love had the best net rating it's like minus 17 for 100 possessions but like everyone else is worse so um, I think it's a little unfair to just blame you know Kevin Love and say he's not a good fit I think in this series it's very difficult and so having him out allowed LeBron to really check Draymond Green for the entire game Um, and you know there's instead of trying to hide a Kevin Love on on Harrison Barnes or something like that you can put Richard Jefferson on him like they did last night and it's just a more natural fit yeah, yeah, to me, it's a it's a domino effect, right? I mean, we've talked about this on previous podcasts with why Channing Fry wasn't get minute, getting minutes and how surprising that seemed. Well, it, it all makes sense because if you have Kevin Love in the game, then it's a lot harder to put to do what they did this game, which is what you talked about, which is that LeBron James guarding Draymond Green. Now, they actually tried it, I think, one or two plays in game two, and all the Warriors did is just hunt out Kevin Love and make him be a part of the play. Uh, like you said, Richard Jefferson, you know, is a fi- good enough defender. He's a neutral, and that's a big difference. And so, now that you have LeBron on Draymond Green, he's involved in the early actions of every Warriors set. So he can kind of throw off the timing there. If he has to switch on to Steph, he did well in, in Game Three. I actually thought he did decently in Game One as well. And now he can do that. And all the other matchups sort of flow from there because if that first one of the things about the way the Warriors play, right, is they got these cascading sets of screens that go on and on and on, and you just have to make so many decisions, and nobody can hide because everybody's involved. 
But if you stop the first one, it's sort of sometimes if you do if you kind of throw off the timing of that first little set, and more often than not, that's Draymond Green. Whether he's handling the ball, whether he's setting the screen, he's sort of the linchpin. You throw it off. Sometimes the other stuff sort of falls into place like a Jenga board, or falls out of place like a Jenga board, and that's sort of where the lack of love in this in this specific matchup becomes a problem for for because of solution for Cleveland, and it also. I, I, yeah, go ahead. I have a question for you guys. I thought sure. one of, and I, I've I've probably seen the Warriors play twenty to twenty five times this year, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. I don't know, but I, I, I was surprised when they would do that. You know, they'd they'd run that Steph Draymond high pick and roll, and the Cavs would just switch it, and then you have Kyrie on Draymond. The Warriors didn't do anything to try and take advantage of that Draymond on Kyrie matchup. Is that is that like normal or is that something that the Warriors you think they'll do something about moving forward? Because it, it when the, when they didn't try and take advantage of that, then you've got LeBron on Curry and and like you said, that's been a pretty good matchup for the Cavs so far in this series. Well I think a couple things with that. One is that the first question is how do you take advantage of that? And I think the traditional way is you would post him up, you would run him on the block, all that. That's all well and good, but that's not the Warriors' best offense. You know, that's not what they are. So I think in a way, you know, sometimes you you hunt mismatches, and this is actually what I think hurt the Cavs in games one and two, and it's sort of the, the same problem in reverse. Like it can be a curse to hunt a mismatch, and it kind of can throw off everything else. The other thing, and this is especially true in Bogut plays, which is why I think they will, you will see less of Bogut in Game 4. There's this one play I know I highlighted in the piece I wrote where they did that, and then they would run Draymond in the post, but Tristan Thompson can then switch on to Draymond, and you know Kyrie can go run to Bogut or run somewhere else. Like One of the things to keep in mind is that it's it's one it's a, it's a switch that makes all the other switches easier because if LeBron is out there that if LeBron is hidden on another player then Tristan Thompson is making the first switch now you're relying on LeBron to do the backside stuff it's sort of the reverse of what you want and with Tristan Thompson now on the back line he can make that switch and it's a little harder obviously when they go small the Warriors which I think we'll see that more but I think that's two of the reasons why and so but it's true though back to Kevin Love it, that with Kevin Love in the game, none of that really works, or it's like a lot harder. I have a question for you, David. I think um, I think visually, uh, the intensity that you hit on, I was harking on this a lot in the first couple podcasts we did on the NBA Finals here, because the eye test was five guys playing harder than five other guys. Like you don't, there's X's and O's, there's adjustments to be made, but then there's just exactly what you talked about: physicality. How many times last night, uh, you know, were LeBron and Curry tangled? Just on purpose making Steph feel each possession, which is a lot of times what I think teams try to do to Kyrie to exploit him on defense. I think they kind of flipped that last night, and Steph did not react well. You could tell from his body language, his facial expressions, the way he was interacting with Steve Kerr, whatever the Cavs were doing to get in his head physically, switching-wise, whatever it may be, it was working. And I don't think that's happened in the last two years to Steph. I think he's been in this beautiful, comfortable playing zone. We talked about this a couple pods ago, how uncomfortable the um, uh, Oklahoma City made the Warriors but that Cleveland wasn't and I think last night was the first time that Golden State looked uncomfortable obviously the scoreline dictates that I think one of the other main parts about that 
was that the shot clock, I think Golden State was taking, and this is because the defense and, and just the integrity that Cleveland was playing with, Golden State was taking longer possessions, playing outside of their uh, normal basketball flow, and it was leading directly into Cleveland's appropriate flow of offense. Did you feel like the, the way the pace was last night was right where Cleveland wanted it? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, sort of two examples that stand out to me. I, I think it was Dan Devine, but, you know, the, t- the Twitter mm-hmm. timeline goes so fast during these games. <laughs> but I, I think it was Dan Devine of Yahoo that said, if the Cavs continue to get 100% of these 50-50 balls, they're probably going to win. Um, and it did. It, it felt like every loose ball the Cavs were coming up with. It, it also seemed like the loose balls were being created by the Cavs. And, you know, in terms of what you said, mm-hmm. Um, of you know what Kyrie was doing and and LeBron plays that free safety role. Tristan Thompson might not always get the offensive rebound, but he makes you feel him regardless every single time. Um, so I thought that was a, a big part of it. I also remember a, a possession in the third quarter where the Warriors spent like all 22 seconds of their possession before an off balance Clay Thompson shot. Yep trying to get him the ball first off a screen for a three. It wasn't there. So he gave the ball back. Then they, you know, they tried like four different ways to get him in a scoring position and he just couldn't spring free. And I thought the Cavs had sort of gone maybe like they had quarters in games one and two, you know, I thought in game one, Halfway through the second quarter, through halfway through the third, the Cavs really played with that intensity. I thought in game two, they played pretty good defense in the first quarter, but they just had not come close to sustaining it for a half, let alone four quarters. And they did last night. So, uh, you know, the the Warriors will will find another gear as well. And then, you know, hopefully we have an interesting series. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) It's, it's interesting. It's not good, but it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> your uh, your boy Tristan Thompson made you proud last night. I think, right? <laughs> yeah, he did. He's making like passes that <laughs> that that um that I don't that you know that we don't see very often. Um, you know, I he was really animated on the court as well. I, I, I said at one point I've never seen him talk so much. Um, every time he scored, he was barking. At somebody on the Warriors, it seemed like it was Bogut for a while. Uh, people speculated to me that there was the article from Zach Lowe about Clay, and apparently he says, "Oh yeah, the Cavs took the wrong Thompson at number four in that draft." Yeah. But Tristan went four, and Clay went eleven. Um, all <laughs> the reports are that David Griffin loved Clay Thompson, actually wanted to draft him. By the way, but. That, that's me. Revisionist history. Yeah. Everybody loves these guys when they can't draft him. Did you see the right. like Dan Gilbert's like, oh, yes. it, I should have listened and taken Draymond Green. And everybody thinks that there was a the someone on the Wizards came out and said recently that they really like Clay Tom or it, it came out not directly but like threw it in got leaked that they really like Clay Thompson in that draft. Or yeah. it's, it's funny how that all works. <laughs> Five years yeah. later, we really liked uh, that guy who we thought was a good player at <laughs> Washington State. No, it's, I, I, I think at times the Cavs ask Tristan to do too much. Um, and and I, Conrad has tweeted this. I've, I've tweeted it. Conrad Kazmarek, our former Cavs yeah, uh, Fear the Sword um, editor, by the, in case yeah, people didn't know. I usurped his, his role. Um, <laughs> the, 
you know, he's not a great rim protector. They kind of ask him to do that. Um, he is good on switching, but if you're asking him to make, you know, that third rotation in a possession to bail out Kevin Love or Kyrie, it's, it's, I just think they ask him a lot. So last night, you know, he really focused on getting offensive rebounds. The Cavs were just sort of switching things. So he had a little bit less responsibility in terms of, of, hanging out underneath the basket and trying to rotate and block shots. And I just think it worked for him. So yeah, uh, I don't know that he can replicate. I don't think what, I don't know that he can replicate what he did last night, but um, it was a, it was a positive game. Well, I, I real quick, sorry. I just want to add one more thing. I think you make a really smart point there when say they made it easier on him. And I guess uh, to take this into a quick brief direction somewhere else, this is why it like bugs the hell out of me that that folks sometimes create this false dichotomy between like an effort and a scheme, and this idea that you, you they just played harder. I think it's a lot easier to play harder when you're put in better positions. And the Cavs made a schematic adjustment that put LeBron back on the front line instead of Tristan Thompson. And both guys played harder because of it. But at the same time, both guys played hard to make it work. There's a symbiotic relationship between yeah, it's the nature two. and nurture. And I, I hate – it annoys me. I know why coaches do it because they don't want to reveal their scheme. But it's like it annoys me that there's supposedly this this uh, contrast between, well, they just tried harder and – but they, that's what the difference <coughs> was. They didn't do anything differently. No, they, they both are the – they both are the way it is. They, you try, you do something different to make it easier to try harder, and the thing you do differently works because you try harder. There's a symbiotic relationship. Wait, and this is the playoffs where the divide between how good your secondary players are at home and on the road is glaring. Oh yeah, this is this series is like the the case study for this. But um, you know, I, I want to get both your thoughts on this. I can't remember in, for the life of me there being such a, a drastic divide in how all the secondary and tertiary guys have played on the road and home in this playoffs in general. And then that second secondarily, I guess, is that there have been so many blowouts, so many three-quarter games. Do you guys remember a playoff quite like this before? Well, like, there's a, I believe the stat is that was the 24th 20-plus point game of the playoffs, <laughs> which I think is by far the most. The home road thing is interesting. I mean, you were, David, you were there, so I think you talked a little bit about the atmosphere, but I think you can speak to it a little better than I can. That does make a difference, just the familiarity and the the speed. And you know, my theory is that these guys are so beat up from the regular season that any little thing that gives them more adrenaline is a, it makes a bigger difference. I don't mm-hmm. know what you, you, having been there, David. What do you think that if the effect of that was? Yeah, I mean, J.R. Smith sort of said after the game, like for him, it's just so much easier to be in a routine when you're at home. Mm-hmm. You know, he literally said, I drove the same way to the, the practice facility that I always drive. Yep. Um, and I got to the arena the same way that I always come to the arena. Um, and I think like, you know, you can go, you know, you, you can go to the same place to get your haircut. You don't, you're not trying to figure out where to go. Well, some of us can. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> There's a little bit of a comfort thing, but it's insane because they're the, the, the two games that the, the, I guess the four games that they've lost in the finals now have all, in the playoffs have all come on the road. Um, and none of that, none of their losses on the road have been particularly close, but they also haven't lost at home or they haven't had a close game at home in a long time and they haven't lost at home either. So, uh, I my like pet theory had been that with as much 
shoot with as much as the NBA has revolved around shooting and how much variance there is with that, that home court advantage would mean less. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think I'm just wrong. So, well, I think actually that may prove the other side, which is that you shoot better at home. Generally, you're yeah. more comfortable. And so if so much of the game is, and I think this is definitely true for Cleveland with the way they play. So much of the game is about making long shots you need to be in the right rhythm to make a lot of long shots, and you're generally in a better rhythm at home than on the road. So I actually think that may prove the opposite. Uh, I think that's a really yeah. astute point that actually sort of flips the other way. I mean, JR, yeah. JR is the poster child for this, not just because like how he is emotionally. The, I feel like the first second he sees the ball go through the net, there's a spark in his eye. It's like, well, I need to see that happen seven more times tonight. Um, whereas <laughs> yeah. the first time he misses a shot on the road, it's like, I can't take that shot again. Um, so I think there's definitely some mental, I don't know, shenanigans at play there. But, I mean, look, guys, we haven't talked entirely enough yet about what Cleveland is doing to stop Steph. I think that is incredibly intricate to say in this entire thing to say that Steph has been bad for most of this series and that it's partially his fault. He's not shooting as well. He's missing shots he can make. But a lot of that has to do with what Cleveland has done in terms of adjustments and rotations. Prada, what did you see specifically last night? Um, and then, and then, David, I'd love to get your thoughts on this too. And if you've heard anything from Ty Lue or if you kind of knew anything previous to going into this game about adjustments they were going to make, um, because it, it definitely seemed last night like it was the first time that Steph was truly rattled um, in mm-hmm. this in this series, or even in the playoffs, even including the Oklahoma City series. Yeah, I, I think there's a difference between how the Cavs stopped "quote unquote" Steph in Game Three as opposed to the first two games. They in the first two games, it felt like they were doing more, putting two on him, and that would open up someone else. And so Steph was allowed to be a great decoy. And I think in this game, a lot of it was a LeBron adjustment because that vaporizes the best way for Steph to get open. I think some of it was Kyrie Irving really stepped up his effort. I think he was he got into a great flow early in the game. We can talk a little bit about how that happened because I think that was noteworthy. And he really get brought it on defense. You know, there was yeah. he really in a way that we haven't seen and I think the other thing that happened and this is to your point it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in game four is they were more physical with him off the ball they were bumping him a little bit and you know what Oklahoma City did too but Oklahoma City also just could stick their arms up in a closed space in the way that Cleveland doesn't have the capability of doing I think the the way that they played Steph off the ball they were they were bumping him a little more they were beating him to his spots a little more and I think Steph wasn't – it was just so, way too comfortable for him. Because I, I said this on game two. Like, he had a great game two game. He just got in foul trouble. Right. Like, when he played, he was very prolific. It's he just, was in foul trouble last night, too. Yeah, and a couple really dumb fouls, yeah. like, frankly. Like, a couple fouls that he shouldn't be taking. And, look, I think that's also part of it, too. They're going after him. I, I'm surprised that Clay didn't pick up Kyrie early on, earlier in that game. But I think it's all those factors. Yeah. I mean, Dave, yeah. what do you think, bud? What I would add to it, and, and this is what Kyrie said immediately after the game, um, also just making Steph work defensively. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think, you know, he Steph got beat on that back door cut early on in the game. Kyrie really got rolling. Um, I don't want to say that that got in Steph Curry's head or anything like that, but he's spending time thinking about what's going on on the defensive and, and, you know, I, I just think it gives him another thing that he has to worry about. Um, that being said, I, I loved what Billy Donovan actually said during the Western Conference 
finals what after they got up 3-1 and he was basically asked what are you guys doing to stop Steph and 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 Clay and he just said uh you know we're doing everything we can but I don't really want to say anything because these guys could just go off uh, <laughs> right. very Absolutely. easily for the rest of the series and you know that's not exactly what happened but it's pretty close to what happened so um I think the Cavs deserve credit um I think uh Kyrie played a lot better I I, I really think that LeBron switching off on him has 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 been great that being said Steph is the unanimous MVP I it, <laughs> I I have to believe he'll get better yeah I'm yeah, surprised they didn't I, uh, I'm surprised they kept him on Kyrie for so long it in was, the first quarter. It was pretty evident early on in the game that Kyrie was on. Yeah, I mean, they were doing a great job, I thought. I mean, they did this a little bit in the first two games, but they were doing a great job of using the bogus man to screen, and they were setting them higher, and they were just sharper screens. And, you know, Steph running into – I mean, this is like a little thing, but, I mean, Mozgov, even the minutes he played, like it hurts to run into those guys on screens. I think that did make a difference. Yeah, I, I totally agree there, man. I also like, um, or I thought it was kind of interesting with the, they, they let Kyrie play from a much more central point last night, and the 4-1 screen was working really, really well. I mean, involving 5-1. Well, they were involving yeah. LeBron quite a lot. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, okay. I guess I should say more that when LeBron was a primary screener for Kyrie, that's just such a lethal pick and roll, and, and it should be used more. Um, I, I, yeah. especially in this series too. Well, that's, a, that's why I don't know why the Warriors kept Steph on him because right, if you put you can, Clay on yeah. him, then you just switch it. That's right. That's that was right. A odd. I, I don't know. Well, Clay, I, uh, Clay, we also don't know. Like Clay could have a really bad knee contusion and just play true. through it. And that's something, especially you know, from my athletic life, it doesn't hurt nearly as bad when your adrenaline's going. And then halftime happens, and all of a sudden you have a huge welt right above your kneecap. You know, so I, I feel it's like. True. There could be something said for that, and we should take a have a look at that. When you're a jump shooter and you're someone who plays tenacious switching defense, you need your lateral mobility. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens with Clay there. I don't want to make any excuses for him. Uh, also, quick turnaround. Yeah, no, so quicker. Yeah, quicker. Yeah. Quicker turnaround. Yeah. yeah, a more traditional turnaround actually, <laughs> instead of the multiple I, days off. I'd also wonder. Uh, I don't think. I have no idea what the numbers look like, but anecdotally, from what I remember of of these three games. Uh, I don't know that Clay's had a ton of success on LeBron, so I'm not sure if that's a switch that the Warriors 100% are comfortable with. I I, I hmm. feel like LeBron's had some success. Um, yeah, just I don't sort of think his physicality. I don't. Not sure. I totally agree, but I mean, certainly he should. I could be wrong. He I, should. I, mean, I, I, I it just it just feels like I mean I. As well as the Cavs played, I'm not sure that like what I wrote after Game Two about just that they were Derek LeBron just wasn't quite good enough to beat these switches anymore. I don't think that really changed in Game Three. I mean, he had all those misses around the basket. He just was hitting some shots, and again, the defense was the big difference to me. And that's, I mean, so we can look ahead to Game Four now. So, are Cavs fans feeling more optimistic about their chances in this series, or are they still wary? I mean, what's the pulse of the fan base now? Um, you know, part of it is that I got home at four a.m. from the game and, and woke <laughs> up like two hours ago. Um, so I know you- our comments. Uh, I know our comments are a lot happier. I've been able to check that out, but um, uh, I, I think most people know it's still a really uphill battle. Um, you know, if, if they can win tomorrow night, you know, it's sort of, um, you know, 
than than the series. I, I used the word interesting, you know, earlier. I, th- I think if they get to two two two, you know, I think it could really end up being a fun series. But um, I think tomorrow is sort of a coin flip. Yeah, I think there's it's essential for Cleveland to get out to a good start again. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be like nine zero and then like fifteen to four after six minutes, but just getting the crowd immediately behind them because I. I mean, this could be the Philadelphia sports fan in me that that kind of has some empathy for Cleveland fans, but like the second that that Golden State makes a run, there's this sort of undertone. It's like, oh god, here it comes! Like mm-hmm. we're not supposed to win this. Like we're supposed to lose this. And and, and then that really emphatic start, the energy that kind of got put in from the second unit, which came in and played pretty well. Um, I, I should say after Golden State had made a, a small run with like a ten zero run in the second quarter or something, but after that, it was pretty much in hand. Um, that like doubt creeping into the collective i mean everyone sang the national anthem together so i feel like it is one collective mm-hmm. uh, brain david were you singing as well i'm sorry i'm oh. i missed that were you, were you, were you singing, singing the national, the national anthem, anthem? Oh, I, I didn't uh, hear I your voice did. yeah i you know you're not so, you know you don't cheer from the media section so i actually was kind of curious what the uh what the uh protocol is on that but uh, <laughs> america I, I, yeah. I, I have this thing there's like a huge movement i don't know how how well you guys are aware of this but like a lot of people don't like the star spangled banner really and like i'm a really big fan of it so I <laughs> oh is it because it's can't. is it because of the where it came from it came from a war uh yeah there are some people who think it's like huh. militaristic and um huh. i don't know but, but I, I, can i tell this story real fast this Go is from last it. year at the finals um and it wasn't like the the fans singing it. There was a, a woman singing, and she was amazing. And this was before I think Game Six, and the the, the crowd was nervous. The Warriors were up three games to two, and uh, they got to the point in the song where they said, uh, you know, gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. And you could hear a pin drop in this arena while she's singing the song because it's so beautiful. And she says, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. And then somebody behind me, not a not a writer, but some fan, just said, not to not as a joke, but like in the moment, you're goddamn right it was. And uh, <laughs> like every like everyone, like like just sort of like nodded their head. Like it, it's it's kind of like funny to like think about, but it, like I got like chills in that moment. Like yeah, yes, that flag was still there. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, in a completely different direction. Yeah. Agreeing with lyrics you've heard a thousand times is great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> with like singing in the press box, it's not like, like it's not like you're rooting. Everybody's rooting for America, right? I guess like it's not like a you're being partisan by singing the national anthem. I don't know. Right. I guess I guess everybody's too busy to work. You're I, sitting next to a Toronto <laughs> writer who's there, it's like I'm sorry. I just <laughs> let me just get this out, okay. Oh, yeah, that's that's very funny. So, what do what do you expect? Uh, what do you expect in Game Four? If you if you were to give us your prediction for uh, sort of how this this flows in Game Four, well, you know, I don't know if I owe Richard Jefferson an apology <laughs> or what, but he was really not good in the regular season, and he's been really good in the playoffs. So, I'm kind of waiting for the Cinderella thing to happen and him to sort of revert back or or run out of steam, but. He seems really, you know, motivated. So I, I think he's sort of a weird bellwether for the Cavs. If if he plays these heavy minutes and can still be productive, um, that gives the Cavs an extra wing that allows them to, you know, keep LeBron on Draymond and that sort of thing. So I think I think Richard Jefferson stays really important. And then 
you know, it, it, I, I think Mike's 100% correct in terms of LeBron offensively, nothing's really easy for him. So uh, LeBron's going to have to be really good defensively, and, and Kyrie's going to have to do what he did offensively again. So I, I think it's still very difficult for the Cavs. Um, so hopefully we can finally get a close game in the finals. Yeah. Mike, Mike, you're you're the game four is the biggest game in the series guy. Yeah. So tell I me think, about this. I think it's usually the game where, okay, the adjustments are on the table, and I think it applies in this series. Everybody knows what's starting to come. This is a game that just sort of pushes the plot a lot further on. You know, it's not it's not the climax of the series, but it's sort of like the middle point, the twist, mm. right? Because if, if the Warriors win, it's 3-1 and they got two at home, so it's over. If the Cavs win, it's a three-game series. It's a big difference. Yep. So I also think, I mean, I'm really curious to see what the Warriors do. I mean, they have two options here. I mean, one option is to just say, you know, we played like crap and we just got to play harder and we don't really have to change anything. And, you know, you were you were at the post-game press conferences. That's sort of the, the trope that Steve Kerr took, right? I actually missed the Steve Kerr press conference because we were doing the Facebook Live thing. Right, okay, um, all right. From what I heard, he, he he sort of ripped the team early on, but then started to build them back up as the press conference went on. Yeah. But that's about as, as close to okay. commenting. But it, it looked like he was saying, like, no, the lineup wasn't the problem. Playing Bogut wasn't the problem. It was just we played like crap. And it'll be interesting to see if the Warriors just try to roll it back and assume they'll play better, or if they start to force some of these changes. Like, I think they've got to go small, maybe from the jump, maybe more. I think they have to. That will help facilitate some of the ball movement, making it harder to switch. I think they may need to think about again Clay on Kyrie to start, lessen Steph's load. They may have to involve different players in the pick and roll. I mean, there are a lot of things they can do. The sort of it's almost like they they held some stuff in reserve, and now it's their decision whether to play the card now or whether it's too early. And I think it's an interesting decision to see what they go with. Well, uh, that's that the ball is in their court. I mean, and of course, the other big interesting thing is what it, what happens yeah, with Love. Right. Where does if he plays, how much? Where does he play? Does he start? Does he come off the bench? Like, right. what, how much does he play? All of that. So, I mean, David, you, I like that you touched on Richard Jefferson first when talking about Game Four because that sort of undermines Kevin Love. Now, with that being said, say Love is is past his concussion protocol and he's he's good to go. What do you want them to do with him? Not what do you think they're going to do with him. What do you specifically, as someone who follows his team so closely, think they should do? If it were me at this point, and I've sort of flipped on where I was going into the series, um, I would start Love on Bogut and then have LeBron stay on Draymond and then put Tristan on Harrison Barnes. Okay. Um, And I think that's what I would do now. Before the series, I said, you know, let let LeBron sort of guard Harrison Barnes and work harder um, on offense. I think that um, I think that as long as Azili and Bogut are playing, and maybe even Spates, I think you can get away with playing Kevin Love. Maybe not, uh, but I think he has a much better chance of success. So, um, any time though that. Um, Anytime though that, that Kevin Love finds himself on on Draymond Green, it's 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 really difficult. And it's not just because of Draymond Green. It's that if the Cavs decide to trap Curry or hedge on Curry, again, you're just putting Kevin Love on space. Or if you're switching him on to Curry, it's just not 
It's just yeah. not a fair situation to put them in. Yeah, it's a it's a chain reaction. Uh, now, if the Warriors go small, are you you would then put Jefferson in? Yes. Yeah, and then yeah, or I mean, Delhi has been so bad in this series, or Shumpert's been really bad in this series. Uh, but yeah, so 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 you need one of those guys. I think Jefferson's probably the best fit in terms of that. Um, and then you hope that Tristan. I still would play Tristan, and you know, hope he can beat up on them on the boards and, and that sort of. Thing. Has Richard Jefferson ever won a championship? No, no, no. Right. So I, he looked like a guy last night who's in his late thirties after a really long, successful career. Who knows? This is his best chance at getting a ring. And this is. Um, it, it's. A, I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah, yeah, this is the first time in the finals in thirteen years. And um, oh wow! You know, he was he was kind of asked uh, like a week ago. You know, what would this mean for Cleveland to win this title? And he's basically like Cleveland. I'm doing <laughs> I'm, he's like. Uh, I'm, 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 I've been playing for a long time and I want to win. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've been meaning if, you know, hopefully, you know, I, 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 I might be able to get to shoot around tomorrow. I'd kind of like to ask someone like Kyrie about that because, you know, Richard Jefferson is you know, working his ass off in this series. Um, that's got to be sort of a lead by example situation you would hope. Oh, yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, nobody wants to win on it. Well, LeBron probably, but uh, <laughs> nobody is has played with the zeal that uh, that Richard Jefferson has for the Cavs. Yeah, and, and and reckless abandon for his body. I mean, he's throwing his body around into in as much contact as possible. Um, and, and and on top of that, I'm, the ball movement. Mark Jackson hit on this, but you know what you're getting from from Jefferson. He's going to shoot it when he's open, or he's going to pass it immediately and keep the ball moving and. That flow on offense last night would allow for Kyrie and LeBron to have more success and potentially could be just that more seconds on the clock were devoted to them getting a better shot than feeding Kevin Love. Yeah, it's it's true. Steve Kerr made that point before the game yep. as well. He was maybe a premonition. So hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Things to look for. Things to look for. I mean, there's it's amazing to have done a podcast after each of these games, Mike, because uh, none of them have been per- particularly... Not, not necessarily close, but like provocative. Even these are three quarter games, except for game one. Um, I personally which is kind think, of a three quarter game, <laughs> which too. is sort of a game. It's, <laughs> it's true. It's true. And I personally think the game four, to echo your sentiment, is the most important game. Obviously, but this is going to be one of those games. That hopefully, we remember the the last series against Oklahoma City with the Warriors. When we thought there was going to be a great game, there, there was. Um, I think it kind of comes to a fever pitch type, the pinnacle where this is such a make or break and. Everything has swayed so drastically from one end of the spectrum to the other with multiple 30-point blowouts, etc. Hopefully the leveling out occurs in Game 4. Um, and, and for your sake, um, David, and for the seven games that Mike and I are looking for, uh, hopefully Cleveland wins. I don't know. We'll, we'll, Absolutely, we'll yeah. We'll, well, we'll hey, listen, thank you so much for joining us um, and for managing that wild... <laughs> crazy hilarious community that is fear the sword um it's it's fun (laughs) but no but no thank you very much for having me this was uh this was really cool nice man yeah we appreciate you coming on and uh maybe we'll we'll have you back on at uh some point when we uh we can be celebrating cleveland's first title i don't know i don't want to jinx you guys (laughs) i don't know i'm as a philadelphia sports fan here i I told mike i can't wait till the sixers get the third pick again this year and we got the first pick so wait uh, so that but but that's a reverse jinx now you're reverse jinxing them you should be oh, yeah, rooting yeah, yeah, for yeah. them to yeah, yeah. not win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, let, me, let me change that up. I hope that uh, <laughs> everyone in Golden State is uh, getting ready for their back-to-back championships parade. 
um, <laughs> San Francisco and Oakland area. Um, but uh, now no. I'm just confused. <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell, I'm a very, very neutral fan. Uh, let's see. So, David, we can find you at at David Zavak, right, on uh, Twitter, right. and at Fear yep. the Sword. That is going to be where you're going to find all your latest and uh, breaking news here for the Cleveland Cavaliers from the games, after the games, etc. Also, David. some also Twitter feuds. Yes. If you're into those, do you, uh, have, do you, you have a can, spe- is there they a have big a Twitter specific feud? Twitter feud with uh, with Bullets Forever. <laughs> it's an ongoing thing. The 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 tweet the other night that was like the point of the lottery is to get you know replenished with draft picks, and then it's like oh wait, Mark Keith Morris. That was a great tweet. <laughs> it was very funny. It's a very one of the funniest. I think probably the funniest account that we have in our our NBA and possibly the entire yeah. network. At Fear the Sword, everybody. Um, we are at Limited Underscore Upside. You can find us on iTunes find us on soundcloud and stitcher subscribe rate review all that good stuff we're going to come at you after the remaining nba finals games there's going to be at least two more um and uh in, until that uh until that time i would say that keep reading mike's uh, breakdowns after each game he's doing a great job here uh for sb nation um really just kind of giving you the the visual breakdown pictures Prada's pictures Prada's videos the best way to kind of figure out sound smart with your friends when you want to know hey, what adjustment did they make You'll know because Mike has already highlighted it for you. Um, but uh, keep uh, keep following us. Keep looking for at limited underscore upside. And uh, I guess until next time, limited upside podcast. <laughs> <laughs>